It's exciting to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you all this morning. There's some kind of power going on in here, but I don't know what that is. I know the power of the Lord is here, isn't he? We're working mightily in our midst. Well, today we're going to continue on in our series of Restored Restorers. We've been preaching through the book of Matthew, and we will continue to do so for a while because it's so rich. There's so much that we can learn about how to be restored restorers in this world and healed healers. Is this sounding all right? Good? Okay. Good. So in the past few weeks, we have heard about some of the prophetic promises that were given to Jesus, uh, about Jesus and about the church. We've heard about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. And then we've heard about how Jesus restored to us the ability to resist temptation in his strength and in his power. All these things being restored to us. We've, we heard about uh, fishing with fireworks, being fishers of men and using that explosive power of the Lord rather than our own strength to be able to draw people into this kingdom of God. Again, being restored to that. And then last week we heard about great faith being restored into great faith in Jesus and into his power and calling in our lives. Today, we're going to look at what, it, what Jesus is restoring to us in power over demons. So this should be a fun one. So why don't you turn to Matthew 8. We're going to read 23 through 34. All right. So this starts with Jesus calming the storm. And actually, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read verse 18 first, because that will tie into this. So when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Okay, that sets up for us to move to 23. Then he got into the boat. And his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Yes, that's amazing. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, 
two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go! So they came out, and they went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw them, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. I'd say that's worth a clap. Yeah, that's uh, this is this is a couple of passages where we're seeing Jesus and power encounters. Okay, so we're going to unpack these today. So, what is the problem that we all have today that this text addresses? I think it's that we need freedom from the kingdom of darkness. And we'll see that we'll see that through here. Why? Why do we need freedom from the kingdom of darkness? Because all the way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, their sin in their in their sin, they gave up the dominion that God had given them over to the enemy. And everything was cursed. By God, because of that disobedience, that sin, there was this door opened to the enemy to be our enemy. Enemy of those, all those who are God's children. And he opposes us at every turn. So what's the solution? Jesus restores that original dominion and that power over demons through his ministry and through the authority that God gave him, all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he passes that on to us so that we can be free and so that we can bring freedom to others. That's what I want us to learn through this text. So now for a personal story. You all know, if you've seen me preach before, that I usually like visual aids for my stories, right? Well, I struggled with that a little bit today because I can't bring a rabid dog into the church here with me. And you're all better off for that. (laughs) So, also if you know me, you might... Raise your hand if you think that I'm a dog person, like a dog lover. Okay, I got a couple over there. 
Um, well, everyone who didn't raise their hand is, is a little bit more right. Um, I, I've been traumatized by dogs throughout my life with different dogs rushing at me and biting me when I was a kid. Uh, the dog that lived on the corner of my street that when I would ride by on the bike as a little kid, he would be like this. He's coming up right up to me, baring his teeth, his big sharp fangs. That's scary to a kid. And so I've been traumatized a lot by, by dogs. I know there's a lot of nice dogs out there. But then Rebecca and I went to Romania. And Romania has a lot of stray dogs everywhere. Okay? And not just the stray dogs, but everyone there has multiple dogs. And, they're, and a lot of them are very territorial. So there were a few times in Romania where we were pretty terrorized by dogs. And one time in particular, Rebecca and I went for a walk in this little village. And every dog that you walk by as you're t- taking a walk in the village is barking like crazy in their fence. Okay? So I'm like uh, walking around here like I'm not really into this, not really very comfortable because I'm thinking all these dogs are barking at me because they want to get me. Uh, they probably just see a tasty treat walking down the street. Okay? So we turn this corner and we're going down and all of a sudden these dogs actually jump over their fence, run at us, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Okay, I'm going to tell the end of the story later. I'm going to keep you in suspense. All right, so we're going to look at this text in two parts today. We're going to look at this um, section where we're looking at the storm first. So this storm that comes up, Jesus has asked the disciples and said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. He's, they're ministering to the Israelites, to the Jews on this side of the lake. And now he wants to go over to the other side of the lake. Why? Well, it doesn't really say, but if we follow the pattern of Jesus' ministry and how he moved from one place to the next, it was always because that's where the Father was telling him to go. Um, Sailing over to the other side of the lake in this case, uh, this is not a vacation spot that Jews would sail over and go um, because it's a place that's occupied by Gentiles. And just the fact that they were raising pigs over there would tell you that this is not a place that the Jews would consider clean. They wouldn't go and stay in people's houses there. Uh, Jesus is not like, hey, I just want to go and rest where there's herds of pigs all over the place because they were unclean for the Jewish people. And so I think that Jesus had a specific appointment on the other side of the lake that he knew about. And we're going to see that play out. So they get in the boat, and they start to go over, and there's this storm. Now, this is the first power encounter, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit. What is, what's kind of strange about this storm? Now, people do say that these kinds of storms can happen suddenly on these inland lakes because of the geography of the, of the lakes. 
But this storm comes up furiously and suddenly at the moment that they start to go over to the other side of the lake. So what that sounds like to me is that the enemy didn't want them to go over there and he wanted to maybe you know stop their ministry. He wanted to get rid of Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to go over and have a power encounter with the people over there who were Gentiles, but they still needed to hear God's word. They still needed to be set free from the bondage that they were in. And so the enemy didn't want that. He doesn't want people to be set free. So one of the reasons why I think that this storm may have been an attack from the enemy is because this narrative of the storm follows so closely with the narrative that we read in the book of Jonah, except for there's a few key differences. Okay, so I'm going to contrast and compare these two storms. Okay, so in, the, in Jonah, if you remember, God had asked Jonah to go to the Ninevites, another Gentile people, and tell them to repent. Okay, but Jonah didn't want to, so he flees and goes the opposite direction in a boat. Whereas in our story today, we're looking at Jesus telling his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake, and they say, all right, we're going because we're following you. We're doing what you're doing and you're doing what the Father is doing, okay? So Jonah's running away. They're following what the Lord is telling them to do. So in the book of Jonah, a storm comes up, and that storm is caused by the Lord because he's trying to get Jonah back on track. In this case, this storm has come up, and I think that's trying to derail. Okay, the storm's described in a very similar way. All the sailors, these people who are hardened sailors like you got the sailors in the book of Jonah. You got the fishermen, professional fishermen who fished on lakes like this all the time and would have seen storms like this. They're all afraid for their lives and they think they're going to die. There's another interesting parallel. Jonah was in that boat sleeping. And so is Jesus. They're both sleeping during this furious storm. I don't think I could do that, but I'm glad that they were getting rest. Um, so the, so the people wake them up. The sailors wake up Jonah. The disciples wake up Jesus. And they say, we're going to die. What do we do? Okay, well, in the story of Jonah, the only way to get the storm to calm down was to throw him overboard. They tried everything else. They tried lightening the load. They tried getting rid of all their cargo. The only way that they could get rid of that storm was to throw him overboard because he was the reason that the storm was being caused. And when he was thrown overboard, immediately the storm settled. Okay? And it was calm. In the case with Jesus, they ask him about, they they implore him, do something, we're going to drown. He rebukes this storm. Just like he rebukes sickness and just like he rebukes demons, When he's doing healing and deliverance, he rebukes this storm in the same exact way. And it is calm, smooth, okay? The reaction is actually very similar also. Of the sailors in Jonah, they reacted like they were terrified, and then they worshiped God because they saw this this storm was a divine storm. 
And then in our story with Jesus, we see the disciples are also quite terrified, amazed, but they also worship Jesus because they, they just see that he is the one who has the power over the storm. So it's power over nature, the storm, the wind, and the waves, but also power over the enemy, who I think was the one who sent this storm to stop them from getting to the other side of the lake where they had God's work to do. Isn't that interesting? So, was Jesus afraid of this storm? No. He was sleeping. He was calm, cool, calm, confident. Even if the enemy was sending a storm to swamp their boat, he had faith in God that he had a mission and a calling and that a storm like this would not derail what he was supposed to do. But the disciples, they weren't so sure. They thought that they were going to die. So that's why I asked them, where's your faith? And I'm sure that this was a faith-building experience for them because now they see Jesus has power that we can't even comprehend. They say, who is this? You know, we've seen him do miracles. We've seen him heal and cast out demons. But who is this guy? He can tell the wind and the waves to do what he wants, and they do it. It's amazing. So that's our first power encounter. Okay? So now they land on the other side of the lake where there's this next power encounter waiting for them. And for this part, um, I want to give it a couple of different titles because I think that would be fun. So the other one was um, Part 1, Power Over the Storm. I couldn't think of a real good title for that, but this one, I have three possibilities. And some people helped me come up with these, and I really like them. So um, this could be called Fresh Water Pulled Pork. They get better. Okay, it could be called Bacon Blessings. Or this is my favorite, um, Gadarene's deviled ham. I really like that one. So they're encountering this demoniac, and we're going to see another power encounter here, which results in some deviled ham going into the lake. Um, now, just one th- one other thing to note, that this... What we read in Matthew here is a little bit more of a summary of this. And so I'm going to be drawing a few details from the other accounts of it, which are in Mark 5 and Luke 8. Um, they, they give a few more details in different places. And so I've been looking at all, all three of those passages um, just to make sure that I have the well-rounded picture because they're all, they're all very similar. This one just is a little bit more of a quick summary in Matthew. Okay. So we have these demon-possessed men now that come and meet Jesus. And so we see, okay, right away there's evidence that Jesus knew he was going over here to have this encounter. Okay, so here's here's the thing. These guys are so violent and crazy that no one can pass that way. So just imagine this. This whole area is kind of terrorized by these guys. They live in tombs. 
They don't live in houses. They roam around the area, and if they see anybody, I shudder to think what they're going to do to them. Because in Mark and Luke, it says that these guys were so, because of the demons that were possessing them, these guys were so strong that they could break chains off from their wrists and ankles. Steel chains. That's just not something that your average, typical human can do. And just like, okay, put me in some shackles, and I'm going to see if I can break them. No. They're made to keep prisoners locked up. And these guys could just snap them like nothing because of that demonic power that's in them. So we're not dealing with some meek, weak force here. We're dealing with power. These demons have power over these men. And they have physical manifestation of power coming through these men and how they act and how they treat others. And this whole region is terrorized by them. And yet, they run to Jesus with a cry. And they, they cry out, What do you want with us, Son of God? And when I looked in the Greek, the word there for that shouted is like the kind of cry that if you heard someone crying like this, you would run the other way, like a shriek. Like it's meant to instill terror because that's what these demons did is they instilled terror and fear in all the people that they encountered. Okay? What does Jesus do? Does he back down? Just like in that storm, no, he confronts because he knows that he has something greater than they do. He knows that his power and authority are above the whatever power these demons have, even if it's very great power by human standards, his power is greater. And he's going to demonstrate to them that his power is greater. So these demons ask Jesus if they can go into the pigs. And the other Gospels give a little bit more information about that. But there were enough demons in this man, in these two men, between these two guys. There were enough demons to fill a herd of pigs. And the other Gospels say that there were 2,000 pigs there. That's a lot of pigs. And that's a lot of demons in one or two guys that could go and control an entire herd of pigs. Okay, so this is just not not some wimpy demon that he's dealing with. This is a powerful demon. And yet Jesus just simply commands them out with one word, go. And they listen. They have to listen. They know who he is. You see, when they run up to him and they, they say, what do you want with us, son of God? They know who he is. They recognize him. Which is very interesting because most of the people that Jesus was preaching to and ministering to did not recognize him. But these demons know. They know who he is. And they know that they have to submit. Right? So he says, go. And all those demons 
go into the pigs and they rush down the bank and are drowned. There's a lot of different ideas about why Jesus would let them go into these pigs, whether it was judgment on the area for raising pigs that are unclean or judgment for the people's sins or uh, just that what he's not there to bring those demons into torment because it's not the appointed time. Like they say, are you here to torture us before the appointed time? They know that there's a time of torture in the end when they're going to be coming to a final judgment and they're going to have to face that judgment. But they're, they're pretty sure that it's not now. And so that's why they're saying it's not the appointed time yet. So they go into these pigs. What I think that... Um, one of the reasons why Jesus may have just commanded them to go into the pigs and gave them permission to do that was so that everyone in the area could see these weren't just some crazy powerful guys that were like, you know, people could say, well, that wasn't demon possession because, you know, they were just mentally ill. They, they just had, who knows how they were so strong to break those chains they just chose to have an alternate lifestyle, living in the tombs and terrorizing people. You know, that people could try to explain it away. But you really can't when you see that 2,000 pigs were able to be possessed by these demons and they go and drown down the bank. Now, that is a spectacular power encounter if I have ever heard of one. Jesus did this, I think, so that the disciples... And all the people around could see, yeah, Jesus is more powerful than the demonic. And he can tell them to go and you see it visibly. You see it visibly going. You see the effects of it. Okay, and then you can see after that that this, these guys and the, the other gospels, again, give a little bit more details about what happens after this that um, isn't written here in Matthew. But they say that these guys are now sitting at Jesus' feet in their right minds. They're not terrorizing anybody anymore. They've been freed from their oppression. That's what Jesus was there to do, was to free people from their oppression, from darkness. And they're there. All right, so I'm going to go back to the story with the dogs and tell you what happened. So I'm, I'm like cowering, shaking, because I'm seeing these dogs coming toward us, barking, growling, teeth, fangs, all this stuff, I think very akin to those demoniacs running toward Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that all dogs are like demons, but sometimes they can be um, scary. Anyway, so I'm, cow- I'm like, what is going to happen? I'm going to die. Rebecca just turns around and goes, Go! You know what they did? They ran away and jumped back over their fence. How did you do that? That's some courage right there. But she didn't have that fear inside of her. She knew that she could command these dogs to go and they would. Just like Jesus commanded those demons to go, and they did. 
So I personally was very thankful for that. And I said, okay, Rebecca, every time I go out walking, you're definitely coming with me. It was so funny. They just right over the fence. Amazing. But that's what Jesus did. He did that to empower his disciples to do the same. So let's see. Jesus restores. Who else in history has had power like this over demons? I know from a little bit of research that the Jewish people or other people groups around the world believed in the existence of demons and they did things like incantations or they used enchanted objects or they did certain kinds of sacrifices to appease these demons and to try and get them to leave them alone, you know, give them offerings or whatever. But no one had ever walked on earth before that had this kind of power that could just command them to go and they go. He didn't have to use any of those things, amulets or, you know, enchanted objects or incantations. No, he didn't need that because he had the power over the demons. Okay? And then he transfers that over. This is the big part. He transfers that over to the disciples and then to us. Okay, see how that works? He restores this power over demons, restores the ability to be set free from these things that before had no, you had no way to get free from them. If you were tortured by a demon, you just were like that. And there's no way to get free. Okay, so how do we react? What's our takeaways from this? These two power encounters. Now we, we can pretty clearly see that Jesus has power over demons, right? From these two stories. Okay, so do we react? Do we choose to react like the townspeople? So you heard what, what they did in the end. All the townspeople come out after they heard about what Jesus did. They see the guys sitting there. They see... All this destruction that happened with pigs that are drowned in the water. And they say, see Jesus there. And what do they do? Do they say, oh my goodness, come and restore us too. Like, we have problems, we have oppression, and only you could fix that. Only you could heal that. No. They react out of fear and they say, go away from us. You're too powerful for us. We don't get it. We don't know what your mission is. Um, maybe they were afraid that they're going to lose more pigs. I don't know. But they had some kind of fear in them that wasn't a fear that brought them to right relationship with Jesus. And they asked him to go away from them. And he does. Because he never forced his ministry on anybody. He always looked for places that were open to his working. And he looked for people who were open to his restoration work. And these people were not open to that. That would be like 
if I started to go on walks with lots of dogs around without Rebecca, right? Or, or if Rebecca told me, Mark, you could do that too. You could just stomp at those dogs and they'll leave. They're more afraid. They're barking at you because they're afraid of you and um, they don't really want to eat you. Um, she could tell me that and I could be like, uh, I don't really believe it. But I also don't want you to come with me when I go on a walk. So if I encounter more dogs, they'll just probably eat me. Um, that would be like how these people reacted, which I don't think is the way that Jesus is calling us to react. Okay? Um, a few chapters later in Luke's account, Jesus sends out his disciples, and he sends out 72 of his disciples in pairs. And I'm going to read that real quick, what they did. Okay, so in Luke 10, he sends out 72 of his disciples. And I think they've learned from him here. And now they're taking on this power and authority onto themselves. So Luke 10, verse 17. After they had gone out, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is huge. This is awesome. Jesus has taken that power over demons and now delegated that and empowered his servants and his witnesses to go and do the same, to go and drive out those demons out of people, set people free. That's what Jesus came for, to, was to bring restoration and to set people free and to heal. Okay? And they were, they were excited. They were like, Yes, I'm going to go and stomp at those dogs. When they come, when they come at me, I'm going to go and stomp, and they're going to flee. Right? I'd, I'd be excited if I could do that. And it's interesting what he says to them after that, too, in verse 18 and 19 and 20. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And then he, get, then he says this, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So I think what we can take away from that is that as Jesus' followers, Jesus is inviting us to go and bring this restored power to the people around us to also experience it ourselves because we have to experience freedom ourselves before we can set captives free, right? Okay, but also he's saying, you know what? Keep your focus on me. Keep your focus on your salvation and rejoice that you have a relationship with me and that your name is written in the book of heaven. So let's not get too focused on or too you know, excited about, well, yes, we have power over demons in Jesus' name, but that's, that's just the, the method of working, okay? The reason we're doing it is because of Jesus.
because we want to bring Jesus to the hurting and to the lost. And that this is one of the ways that he restores people into relationship with him is by freeing them from demonic oppression. And he does the same for us. So, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to just take a few moments to talk with the Lord. And think about what your reaction to this is. Have you reacted like a townsperson and said, no, this power is too great for me. It's too scary. I don't know what it will cost me. I don't know what's going on here. I'm too confused about what I need to do. So just, I'm not going to have any part of that. Or is Jesus calling you to be empowered like his disciples were and to go in that power and to go out where he's calling you, wherever that is, whether it's in your family or with your neighbors or with strangers that you meet on the street. He's asking you to bring his restoration through this power that he has restored to us. So Jesus, we do pray that you would just give us each a, a picture of yourself and what that next step that you have for each one of us is. Just pray that you would cast out any fear in any of us because we know that you have power over the enemy you have restored power over the enemy to us in your name thank you Jesus shared as he was preaching that um, one of the catalysts for us uh, willingly and even joyfully working with Jesus to help to set people free is our own experience of Jesus bringing freedom and deliverance to us. Um, And that's certainly been my experience. I've, 
I've dealt with uh, oppression from evil spirits, specifically a spirit of fear uh, that came in through an experience of being beat up. I think I've told that story before. I can't remember if I have, but uh, we've all had we've all had experiences of um, hurtful things, painful things, whether things that um, happened to us or sometimes sinful things where we engaged in behaviors that opened a door. And uh, the Lord has a fullness of healing and, and freedom and deliverance for each one of us. This morning, I, I feel like I've got some words of knowledge. I, I don't know for sure, but I, I want to test them by um, using them. So I think the Lord wants to bring some specific um, types of freedom. And um, these are words that he gave me ahead of the service in prayer this morning as I asked him, thinking about this message. And um, there are four specific words where you could be dealing with an issue in your life, and the issue's real, but at the bottom of it might be a spirit um, aggravating or um, harassing or making it worse. So there's always discernment needed to recognize, is this flesh alone or, or a struggle of the heart and the mind alone, or is this being aided and abetted by a spirit? Um, so I'm not making pronouncements about whether it is or isn't, but I'm going to release four different areas, and after each one, I'm going to make a, pray a very simple declaration um, to bring the opposite, to bring freedom. Okay. There, there may be more, but this is what the Lord gave me. Um, the first one that I sensed was a spirit of division that was working against relationships. So there's relational turmoil you may be experiencing and that there's actually a spirit of division at work to uh, in, increase the turmoil, increase fracture in the relationship. And I'm just going to speak over all of us right now, and I break the power of any spirit of division that's at work in any of our relationships, and I release afresh the peace of Jesus that brings harmony, that brings unity, that brings koinonia in the Lord. Second one was a spirit of fear that was specifically keeping people from stepping fully into their giftings and callings of who God's uniquely designed, created you to be. There's an inhibition that's rooted in fear. And I, I speak in Jesus' delegated authority and break the power of fear off minds, off hearts, and I speak the Father's love and grace to grow up fully into who He's called you to be. The third one is anxiety. Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace. 
Your inheritance in Jesus is peace. My peace I leave with you, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And so I break the power of any spirits of anxiety that are affecting or afflicting or oppressing any one of God's children in this place and speak the peace that's in Jesus Christ. And the last one, um, this just seemed a little strange when it came to me, but I'm going to speak it anyways. It was a spirit of adultery that was working against a singleness of, and purity of heart and mind. And I, I, I had the sense as it came that it may have been like a, about actual relationships, marriages, but may also have been against um, our marriage relationship with the Lord. Something that would woo us away. So, I, again, I'm, I'm speaking declarations in faith that this is from the Lord. I, I break the power in Jesus' name of any spirits of adultery that would work to, to break apart human relationships, human covenants, and that would work against our covenant marriage relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I speak and release the, the faithfulness to human covenants and faithfulness to the Lord who is faithful to us. In Jesus' name. Mark, is there any others that have come to you as I've been sharing or anything else? No? Okay. Uh, I just want to test, is there anyone else who may have received words of knowledge? I saw uh, a few people nodding in strong agreement with a couple of the ones I was sharing, which means you yourself were sensing it. And so I'm, I'm actually testing, is there anyone else that sensed something that hasn't been spoken? Okay, I just want to conclude uh, by saying um, thank you to Mark for bringing this word. And when we step in like Jesus and we speak things, it takes faith and a vulnerability. But I, I just want to re, uh, assert the, the value and the importance of speaking the word of God, the word of the Lord from Scripture, but also what he's speaking right now. Um, God uses the spoken word to shape or create reality. Just like he did in the beginning, he does as we speak it. So Jesus said, go, and they had to obey. And I've just spoken the word of the Lord. And that, that shifts or changes things that you or we may be experiencing. And I want to encourage you um, to look at your 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 day-to-day experiences and those of people that you're interacting with, whether it's the grocery store or work, you look at the fruit and you allow the Lord to show you what is the root. Because the fruit speaks about the root. Right? And Jesus has restored us to deal with the root whether it's sin, 
whether it's wounded flesh and unbelief, lies, or whether it's a spirit, a demonic. But we've got to have the open eyes that are looking at the fruit, looking for the roots, and are willing to step in like Jesus and speak in his name and as his representatives. 